Hello and welcome to another episode of the Film Maverick Show. We are in Las Vegas here at WPPI and I have some fantastic wedding filmmakers around the couch here. Uh, this is actually a pretty cool spot and this is one of the perks of coming to conferences like this is you never know, you might find yourself in a huge suite with uh, windows on all sides, which we have covered up mm-hmm. um, right now because uh, the lighting would be terrible otherwise. But uh, yeah, that's one of the amazing things about coming to conferences like this is you get to hang out with amazing people, learn from them and be friends with them, hang out in amazing places, learn so much. And uh, But today we were just kind of chatting about um, the state of the industry as a whole, but specifically, um, Charlie and I were two of the judges for the filmmaking competition, which, by the way, if you um, have not ever submitted a film to this competition, you really need to. It was just an amazing experience. We're going to have to have a, no, a whole other show about just that, I think. Um, so that's for another time. But Charlie was bringing something up um, to the audience there, which is that we're just in such an incredible time in our industry where, you know, you could spend, um, you know, a thousand bucks, two thousand bucks and have um, the ability to create incredible imagery um, with the right skill set. And that's a pretty amazing time because, you know, uh, 10 years ago, that would be just so far from the truth. And five years ago, even, um, you know, you'd be so limited with a budget like that. And so we're just in a pretty incredible time. And I thought it'd be interesting um, because because of how things are advancing so rapidly, because of the new things that Cameron manufacturers are putting out all the time. Um, Sony just made a big announcement. They have a new cool lens coming out. It's like a 135.18, I believe. Yes. Um, uh, of course, uh, we've been doing other stuff on this channel about the Lumix S1 and S1R and uh, some lenses that are coming with that, as well as... I'm not sure about the timing of when these will come out, but we just talked to Sigma and they've got 11 lenses that they're doing in their art line. Um, and, you know, Canon's a whole nother story. We can talk about that too. Um, but it's just, it's an amazing time. There are amazing tools from uh, a host of manufacturers out there. And so I thought it'd be good. We haven't done this in a long time. Um, we generally, if you're new to this show, um, we generally talk more about filmmaking techniques and business strategies and those sort of things to really help filmmakers elevate their game. But every once in a while, it's kind of fun to nerd out and talk about the gear and the tools. And I think it's something that we all uh, love and enjoy and appreciate just kind of geeking out with people who actually get what we're talking about in person. Because typically, if we're having these conversations, it's only online because our friends um, would slap us in the face if we started talking about these things because they have no idea what we're talking about. Um, so yeah, I thought this would be a good time to do that. So why don't we go around and do some introductions before we start? So you can kick it off, Larry. I'm Larry Marshall, Marshall Camera Wedding Films. I was in Indiana, moved to Orange County, um, living in Huntington Beach now, and um, that whole big move. And and so I'm doing the like not rebranding, but I'm in the process of getting contacts again, starting the network again. It's a lot of work and it's gonna be a process. Yeah. And actually while we're going around too, maybe since the conversation is about equipment, maybe say uh, what camera oh, system you're yeah. currently using sure. and if you have recent experience 
yeah. with other cameras, uh, maybe say that as well. I think I'm the person who's shot on, am I the only person who's shot on every major manufacturer in the last three years, flagship cameras? I think you're, probably, yeah. yeah. So Canon up until 2015, then Sony A7S II in 2016. And these are full years, and then uh, starting in 2017 and continuing till now, I'm on the GH5. Yeah. Hi there. I'm Charlie Hilbrand from Chicago. And I uh, work a lot with Larry. And so we've sort of evolved in the equipment game similarly. Um, right now, we're using the Canon 1DX Mark II. And just kind of fell in love with that image. And it's been what's working for us. But I'm not married to any particular uh, manufacturer or spec. I just think what serves a story is what we should be using. Uh, let's see. What else? What am I missing? Uh, I company name. Company name. <laughs> it's the most original name you can imagine. Can anyone guess it? Charlie Hillbrand Films. films. Okay. There you go. I think <laughs> I said to Taylor, like, I really need to work on my marketing. <laughs> like, I, when I was on the um, Film Mavericks podcast. Well, my name's just really long, so <gasps> I need to work Marshall on Marshall Cameron, Wedding Films. It takes um, forever to say. So Charlie Hillbrand Films. And uh, I'm just loving being here, immersed with, you know, among so much talent. And uh, speaking of talent. My name is Taylor. A lot of you have probably heard or seen me. I am one of the producers and sometimes co-host of this show. Um, I work for Jordan, so I primarily shoot on the Panasonic Lumix system. I've done everything from GH4 to G85 to GH5, um, and even recently gotten my hands on the new S1, which is pretty awesome so far. Indeed. So yeah, that's me. I'm John Snyder, and I, I, by the way, I apologize, my voice is a little out, so you have to bear with me. Um, my company name is Jonathan and Kay, based out of Atlanta, work with my wife, full-time, husband and wife team, and the Canon, uh, Canon system, the um, system of gear that we use is Canon. We've pretty much been at Canon for pretty much most of our career, though we did technically start at, at Panasonic, little known fact. Which one? AVX 200, now you've dated about yourself. right? Yeah. Yeah. Super old. At least it wasn't the DVX 100B. Mm, could have been worse. <laughs> I remember one of the one of the cameras had the P2 card and the other yeah, one it's had the, HVX the SD 200. Yeah. SD cards. Yeah, the first like solid state recording. And we, we started off with um after Panasonic, we went to Canon 60Ds, yeah. 5D Mark IIs, 5D Mark III, 5D Mark IV, but we're currently using uh two 1DX Mark IIs and two 5D Mark IVs. Nice. Nice, yeah. And unless if you're new to the channel, uh, I'm a Lumix Global Ambassador, so I shoot with like all the Lumix cameras. Um, that's why Taylor talked about the S1 that we're pretty pumped to get our hands on over the last couple weeks. Um, and we might, at some point in the conversation, hit on that. Um, but, uh, yeah, pretty cool that we have people who have very recently shot with all the major manufacturers I understand that there are people who, yes, they might shoot with uh, with Fuji or Nikon, but those are few and far between. I think in our specific world of wedding and commercial filmmaking, probably pretty rare. So, um, so I think we kind of covered our bases. Um, yeah, cool. So, talk to me about. Let's just let's let's start here. As wedding and commercial filmmakers. What are the primary things that you're looking for in a camera system? 
I personally am a minimalist. Um, so I really enjoy having the micro four-thirds sensor system because these cameras are a lot smaller, um, a lot more lightweight than others that I've seen, um, like some of the Canons. Um, Sony is a little as micro four-thirds, so they're similar. But I like the Lumix well, cameras. It's, small, it's mirrorless, you mean? Yes. Yeah. I think everybody knew what you meant. I'm not as big a nerd with all yeah. the terms. Yeah, I get but it. Yeah, okay. So I like it, and I like the lenses that go with it. Um, and I really just think the G85 and the GH5, the image stabilization is so incredible that I now run around handheld almost two-thirds of a wedding day, and it's been so freeing to not have to think about a lot of different gear or stabilization techniques. And now I kind of just use like those stabilization techniques for certain shots when I want them, like the gimbal or the monopod. But it's nice knowing that I can just run and gun. I can be somewhere super fast, mm -hmm. get the shots I need, minimal gear, and I'm not bogged down. So I really like things to be minimal on a wedding day. Um, and I have my go-to lenses and things to kind of keep everything simple. I think once you go IBIS, it's... You can't go back. It's, it's really, really hard. hard. I didn't. It'd be terrible. Yeah, and I, there's I, some... I did. Yeah. Yeah. And GH5. Yeah, okay, it's fair. Yeah. It's still tough. And you, and you wish, but you would want it if, if Canon said, here... Here it is. You wouldn't be like, dang. It, it depends on what, what did I they sacrifice. It depends you know? on what I sacrificed to yeah. get. It. I mean, everyone would want it, but you know, yeah. I, well, I that's know. what I'm saying. It's it is. It's amazing. <clears throat> it really is. But it just takes out all those little microgenerators. You know, even if you're still shooting on a monopod, I can shoot monopod 200 because of it. You, I couldn't do that without having to put some sort of warp stabilization on it in post. Yeah. And so, so my post is faster. Well, I remember I used to, when I was shooting the GH4, I had to apply a stabilization to every single clip. Right. And then sometimes it wouldn't handle well, so I'd be like, all right, well, i got to get rid of that clip, mm -hmm. you know. Because that, that, that wobble effect that we were talking about yesterday, yep. when we saw a lot of films where, um, so stabilization systems inside of Premiere or Final Cut, they're not perfect. So they're going to give this the edges. If, if you ever want to check your stabilization, make sure it's, like, I don't know, what's a good way Acceptable. to put it? Acceptable. Acceptable. Yeah. Look at the not edge of noticeable. your frame and just notice yeah. what the edge is doing. So if it's going to be noticeable, you're going to have, like, the it's wobbles. the best yeah. way to describe it. It's going to, yeah. like, There's a little warp. Yeah, a little. Sometimes it's so much so that it's distracting. It stabilization. Right? Yeah. It'll warp. Must be it. Yeah. It'll, warp. <laughs> It'll warp. It'll warp. It'll warp. It'll warp. It'll warp. So, yeah, it's not a, it's not a fix-all solution. This might, that was my yeah. point. So what else? What are you what are you looking for then in in camera? I am looking for a great representation of skin tones. I am looking for. I, I I'm not any longer looking for minimalism. I'm looking for an image that uh, has certain part components to the image in the way that it handles highlights. I base everything off of how a toast is going to look, and I work. I reverse engineer everything else. I don't really care too much any longer about the the IBIS. I, I loved it on the GH5, but I want highlight roll-off uh, to be abrupt and beautiful in the way that the 1DX does it. So when we have it, a toast giver lit nicely, because that's, I, I build my film around the toast. So I'm looking for that. I'm looking for the Canon skin tones and autofocus. I've been using the autofocus on the 1DX Mark II and uh, one of our friends, Amber, brought up a really good point because I said, sometimes I feel like I'm kind of cheating, right? We're at the front of the 
the processional and the autofocus just tracks the person the whole way, you know, 30 seconds of, of perfect autofocus. And it's so perfect that I just feel like, man, this should be more of a challenge. <laughs> Have you ever had it just tragically fail, though? I mean, I feel like I stopped using it because wow. every once in a while I would just pick a different subject and just completely racked somewhere else. Well, I use the face tracking only for the processional. And so I, the, if I so turn on... it doesn't on, pick up other people's faces? It does not. It knows because uh, most of the time if... Do you tap the screen and like say that face? <gasps> no. Okay. No, it, just picks it, it, it up at some point. This, this. Now... It's entirely possible that at some point, probably you know, next weekend, all of a sudden it's gonna, yeah, I'm gonna pick up a bridesmaid or something. I learned not to use it on the, on the dances because you know once people start spinning around and, oh yeah, yeah, good autofocus has been great. But our to finish that up, I can get a little bit long winded. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, I, our friend Amber said, on a Hollywood shoot, you're gonna have a focus puller and that's what their job is so we have basically have put a little focus puller inside the camera yep. and that's what it's doing so i i appreciate what that uh has yeah. given me and and, instead and of paying a human you're paying canon to do <laughs> well, it for right. you yeah. right they've taken they've taken your job as first ac yeah yeah <laughs> you know? that's right yeah i anyway. i did uh i was a first ac couple, well at this point is like five years ago now but that's that's where i started in cameras as well as doing focus pulling and uh so i'm I'm actually, yes, I'm actually looking for in a system, I'm looking for good autofocus. Um, I don't, at this point, it's very clear to me that like the future is going to be autofocus. Uh, as much as that pains me because like I've made a living off of pulling manual lenses and it being how I support myself and a craft. Um, but I'm not sure about the cinema world, but in the, in the one man band world, I absolutely like at this point, or I don't want to buy into or a system. one woman band. Yeah. I, I don't want to buy into a system that's not going to give me that option, even if I don't use it. Because for me right now, like I don't even think about focusing, even though I'm doing it manually. It's so second nature to me. But the people that haven't like I've just been doing it for 10 years. And so I'm just, I mean, I get, I'll get stuff in focus, I don't know, maybe faster than autofocus. And it would be nice to not have to think about it, but I'm not, it's not holding me back unless I'm doing gimbal moves. That's actually what I'm looking forward to the most is like, I want to be able to shoot tighter on gimbal Yeah. and not, yeah. Because right now I'm just flying a 12 to 35 and I'm kind of staying at 12, which is a 24 equivalent. And I'm fully manual because the right. depth is so great at that point. Sure. Yeah. So that's what I'm looking for. I, I do. I, I don't. I won't buy into a new system until I see that it has good autofocus. And at this point, like I said, it has to have IBIS. Yeah. I, I'm not interested uh, without it at this point. Because yeah, I've started just shooting handheld in preps, even without the dual uh, system with a native Panasonic lens, still works really great with my Sigmas. Yeah. So, yeah. I think one thing you do really well when you're handheld is that you do what Jordan was saying today when he was on stage, just a little just bit a of little. rock. Yeah, and I, subtle I'm not going to make you get up and, and recreate it, but it's just a little thing like this, and just that little bit of motion moving the frame. And, and I'll still put warp on can't, that. That's something you can't do without IBIS, because you, you can't recreate that. Otherwise, you're going to have to have either a slider or a gimbal. You're not going to do that on monopod because it's going to tilt. No, your horizon will you go. Know, um, and so, Which like, I did that already. That was already me three years ago. Right. And I look at that, and I'm like, ugh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Until they had come up with a you know a different axis yeah, for a monopod, ooh, which would be cool. That'd be cool. So if you're listening, uh, manufacturers, do that. Sue, eh? But uh, otherwise, like, yeah, you can't pull that move off without like the clunkiness of having to have 
a slider on a tripod or, uh, you know, bringing a gimbal to all those shots, which I don't know. I just, I hate bringing a gimbal into situations like that. It's just, it's not a good situation to be bringing a gimbal into a bride suite. Um, and I get it. You can get some cool shots, but it's just, uh, it's just too much. I think for most situations to be bringing that kind of equipment into a room like that. Can I say why I agree with you? Yeah. No, I, I, th- <laughs> I think that we see these these types of tools every day. The goal is, as filmmakers, I think sometimes should be, especially in, in bride or groom prep, to let them have moments that are that you're, where you're not disturbing it, yeah. and you're going to get better imagery that way. If they see a tool like a gimbal or a, a slider, it's bringing in an unfamiliar object, yeah. Yeah. and it's very abrupt visually. I mean, even though some people, it just looks. It's unlike anything anybody's ever seen. It's like alien spacecraft. They look weird, you know. It's like people do stare it, at them. Yeah, and they yeah, have they, questions about they have, them. Your footprint just expanded. Your footprint just expanded. It's the best way. He's far more uh, articulate. It takes me twenty seconds, but I'll figure it out. Far more articulate than I. <laughs> so I just feel like we should be making it. I think a global goal to preserve the the, the sterile nature of that room. Let the room happen. Let the moments happen without us putting that footprint on it. And so with the GH5, what I respect about it, it allows you to preserve those moments. So that groom is thinking about his father tying his bow tie, not about the crazy whiz bop that you're, you know, holding. Um, that's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And especially the bride too, like to just walk in there, just me and one little camera in my hand that a lot of times just yeah. right up on my chest and, barely noticeable I can blend in so seamlessly sometimes I don't think people even know I'm in there and then when I do have to get specific shots where I'm you know closer up to the bride or I'm telling them what I'm doing Mm -hmm. she's more at ease you know and there's not a lot of stuff going on there's not a lot of equipment it's just like one little camera and sometimes people are even like wow you're doing video on that like your footprint's literally smaller than the photographers yeah and sometimes the photographer's in there with a bunch of other stuff going on and, and moving around and Everything's hanging off their body. You yeah, know, and you're so it just, just like, it does feel really good to just be able to be so minimal and then really just be in tune with the people and they're going to feel a little more calm, especially if it's a kind of bride that's like, I don't really know how I feel about being on camera. I'm not, I'm not very good with stuff like that. Which I think leads it, into a little bit of like, uh, like when, we, when I go in, like I do not bust out my video stuff until I've like said hi to her. Like there's not a camera right away. Nobody even knows I'm really doing video unless I say, "Hey, I'm doing video and all that stuff." And I'll go off and shoot the details if I have time. Timing, you know, allows. But I'll do that in a different room so that they're just not constantly seeing work happening and like cameras. Because I will do details on a slider. I actually only keep a six-inch slider because I just want that little move. Um, but that's that's it. Um, you got to give them time to like get acclimated to your presence. Sure. Yeah. That's still, uh, I talked to Taylor about that a couple months ago. That's a coffee trick. Yep. You just walk into the preps mm, yeah, I remember with that. a coffee, yeah. nothing else in your hand. Yeah, then you seem so chill, and then they, they what, vibe what, off that, and they're like, oh, let's this talk about, isn't stressful. Let's talk about let me, before Before we move, I, I do want to hear from, yes. I do hear from yeah. Jonathan. I want to hear what you're, so, looking what you're looking for in a camera. What I'm looking for in a camera. Um, you know, for me, it's I feel like it's a little different just because how entrenched I am with um, lenses and, and the systems. I mean, it would take a lot. I mean, I love the, the look of the Canon. I love the, the 4K imagery that it produces. But if another camera body comes out, it's just like, it, it, 
it would take an awful lot for me to have to start thinking about switching to different system. I mean, we have like 12, 14 lenses in the Canon ecosystem and just, the, I mean, I, 20 grand I mean, more, 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 way more. And just thinking about that, I'm like, well, I mean, you know, there's a good resale value on it, but it would take an awful lot. Like Canon would really have to go further into kind of like not acknowledging not this segment of the anymore. industry to. Well, I think that's one of the interesting things too, is like that conversation is becoming less and less prevalent because um, everybody makes adapters for EF mount, right? Um, uh, Sigma already, I, I was talking to Sigma earlier today and they said they're going to have an EF adapter for the Leica L mount for the Lumix S1, you know, so. Uh, and yeah, I think the, M the MC21, I believe. That's, man, you're such a nerd. Yep, that's correct. Hello. <laughs> uh, yes. So that that part point. of things, like, that's always been a part of the conversation. In fact, I was talking with uh, Marshall, um, who's off camera over here, earlier today. Um, he was saying, every time I have a conversation with a Nikon photographer, they say something to the effect of, yeah, well, I just have so many lenses. It's such a hassle, you know, and, like, especially if you're investing in the Canon system, EF has sort of, in a lot of ways, has become the standard where, um, you know, most cinema cameras, you can get a EF mount. And so everybody's making EF adapters for every other type of mount. Um, and so that conversation is becoming I do still prefer the image of the Canon 4K. Yeah. More so than, um, you know, the, the Panasonic and the Sony, though. To be honest, the Panasonic definitely has come uh, a long ways to making it bridging that gap with my preference and um that wait that's what you wanted me to say right <laughs> <laughs> well i think just in terms checks of checks in the mail jordan why are you paying john right now <laughs> <laughs> i think just in terms of that's one of the conversations we were having earlier uh before this started is so maybe we can talk about that now actually so we're having this conversation um um, two of these guys had a conversation with um, with with Canon in their booth with a particular representative. Um, but one of the things that that you kind of came back to was, um, well, maybe, maybe we should maybe we should jump in and we can go there. So we're um, going there. Yeah, it's happening. Let's just let's just go there. And and this is two guys um, who who shoot with the, the two Canon shooters here. So tell we'll me about call your experience. Barley and Ron. <laughs> <laughs> so so you guys <laughs> you guys went into um, the the Canon booth here in the expo and had a conversation with uh, we'll just call them Bob the sales rep. Um, um, they actually had a higher position ranking than that. The person that you talked to. Um, uh, so, can you do me a favor and grab the card? I just want to um, get his position, just so the audience. Can you just say the position there? Yeah, yeah. Senior professional marketing specialist. So that's a pretty high-ranking. Uh, it's a senior, senior uh, executive type of position. Senior professional market specialist. So this, this would be the, the the person who we would approach. If you were going to talk to one person at the booth, that would have been that person. Well, I'd already talked to someone else, and they directed me towards him and said he was the guy to talk to. Okay. And, well, let me let me give a little preface. Um, the whole reason I I spoke, I wanted to speak to Canon. I I've been doing this actually for the last couple shows I've been to, and I remember the last time I went to imaging in Nashville, I tried to speak to people because, you know, us Canon people were kind of like, what would you call us? Or you know, just. I, I don't even know. We, should, we have to stick together. I mean, it, it's hard looking at the, the Panasonic 
and Sony, uh, you know, because they have the their reps. You know, uh, Jordan is a Panasonic rep. You know, we were at you know Amber and Garrett's class before. I'm not a Panasonic rep, for the record. Is that what I say? <laughs> well, the reps are like they're employees, so I'm not an employee. You're of an ambassador, Linux. sir. Yeah, I just meant that you you are. Panasonic recognizes you as an ambassador. They recognize you as someone in the industry who has, who can carry influence and also who can really um, bring the, the Panasonic culture to the wedding filmmakers community. And not just wedding, but, you know, wedding and events and kind of all, those, all that. But, you know, Sony has, you know, Amber and Garrett, just to name a few. Um, I, I don't think, does Nikon do it, but... <laughs> that's a funny story actually we were walking by the nikon booth and uh i, I don't i don't want to say i don't even know who it was actually but somebody was there at the nikon booth um showing off a wedding film that uh, we would have judged in the 60s yesterday um showing off on the on the nikon stage so so I, as, a, re- they as do a reference how, how's the 60 in terms of a score oh sorry so so 60 60 is the lowest source score so it's 60, 60 to 100 um, so the film that was being showed off as the standard in the Nikon booth was, um, it would have been ranked, you know, uh, very low. So anyway, it, it's just, it's frustrating being a Canon guy and seeing that, you know, the other camera manufacturers recognize uh, these people uh, to carry the culture and to really be able to talk about their cameras and their, to the, the other, the film community. So it, it just, it feels like we're neglected. You know, it's like we're holding out and hoping for that announcement that, you know, redeems our, our brand loyalty. So that we can say, that's why I waited Boom. for so that's long. Why I that's waited. why I hung on. But that's that's been year, it's been years, I feel like that's been said. You've been feeling neglected for years? Well, I, I don't want to say too neglected because, I mean, I still do believe that the, the image quality that Canon produces is, you know, definitely uh, – at. I don't want to say at the top of the pack, you know, this is a... You can say that. It's your opinion. You my opinion at the, yeah. the top of the pack. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just... Wait, what were you saying? I, you were. Just that how long it... it why it, Like, how long it's been since... How long have you felt that way, basically? Like Pretty much ever since it started, you know. We all, know that, we all know that <laughs> since it started with the, the first camera. But we all know yeah. Canon. We, we know that they're a day late and a dollar short most yeah, of the time. These, these Sony artisans who are creative and... You know, they're the they're and they have all, events have like events. in LA that are like called the Alpha, and you just feel you feel their presence. And I just don't feel Canon's the brand presence. presence. Yeah, the brand presence is not represented for the up and coming talent. For the up and coming talent, is not represented by anybody in particular. And I think I think that maybe the point was that it really could be we're missing out on opportunity. And, and not that there isn't amazing talent on Canon. It's just that they're not. Yeah. They're not using you, yeah, but there's two leaving. people on this couch who are producing amazing work. Yeah, it's not cameras. that they're just not using. Yeah. I feel like they're not getting you guys out there enough. You know. Okay, so my face isn't pretty enough. Go I, want, I want to go. I want to go back to the story. <laughs> you guys had a conversation with yeah. the. So I, I had a conversation with Bob, and, and the whole point of the conversation was because I wanted to bring awareness to the fact that this is kind of like a whole in this industry that I'm noticing. And I kind of wanted this feedback. I kind of wanted him to say, wow, you're right. You know, we really do need to be doing more for that that community. And I I don't know if you heard me, Charlie, but I I kind of said, hey, Charlie, come over here. But um, I'm not sure what point you joined in on the conversation. So basically um, what Bob was saying 
I, I'm ch- kind of jumping in the middle, but he was refuting every point I was bringing about how, you know, the Canon is neglecting our, our segment in terms of the cameras that they're putting out, the fact that there's no, um, uh, what Canon calls actually the explorers of light. And there are a ton of explorers of light in the photography world. And there's even a few of them in the upper echelon of filmmaking, like in Hollywood side. Mm. But um, he was basically refuting all that. I mean, Charlie, what, what did you say? Completely. I think I, <clears throat> from my viewpoint, I heard, I heard some excuses. I heard some defensiveness. I heard uh, a lack of acknowledgement of what we're pointing out from being on the front lines saying, here's what we're seeing. And I just saw sort of a refusal to look at the truth of, because we are, we are feeling we're on the front lines. We're the, the boots on the ground. So to have somebody say, no, that's not really what is going on. Like, well, give, me, give me an example what, of like something that was said and a response. This feels like leading. it's open-ended give me an example so i mean the example that everyone wants to hear is when when we're talking about um the amount of filmmakers first of all first we're talking about specs and we're talking about how the canon specs are lagging behind the other uh camera manufacturers like panasonic nikon even fuji now i mean um and sony and he was saying he's basically saying that all all the canon spec he kept diverting back to color science and the autofocus but the thing is, we all know that the other manufacturers have really bridged the gap in those areas and to a point where it is preference of which one you like better more so than it is just Canon dominance in those areas. Sure. But the, the, the really, I, you almost have to say funny at this point part was when he was saying that the market that Canon, <clears throat> the executives are interested in is the ultra, ultra, ultra high-end wedding filmmakers market. And he was basically saying that those people should be uh, using C500s and C700s with cinema glass. <laughs> and w- what he was projecting that the fil- the wedding filmmaker community as a whole should be aspiring to having that, those camera bodies and lenses. Yeah, so I, I recently watched a podcast <laughs> that my friend uh, Rob Adams and Charles King did where they're talking about, did you watch this? Okay. Well, the, I, I know okay. Well, they were talking about um, basically knowing, having a deep knowledge of what your expenses are, so you yeah. understand exactly how much you make. The, yeah. the title of the podcast was "Wedding Filmmakers Make Less Than Fast Food Workers," or it was something like that, or "Make Less Than McDonald's Workers," yeah. right? Because that's the whole fight for fifteen dollars an hour, and he was doing the math and being very generous with his math and the way he structured things. You know, if you made $3,500 in a wedding and you shot 30 weddings and here's your expenses and kind of laid everything out and you ended up making, you know, $10 an hour. Um, and, you know, so if if that is a normal thing for wedding filmmakers to imagine trying to b- have them convince you to buy a $33,000 camera body, a C700, and some cinema lenses – you know, five ten thousand dollars a pop, and then you've got to buy several of those because you can't shoot a wedding with one camera. So you're buying two or three of these things, maybe four. Like this is the most absurd thing I've ever heard. You cannot possibly. Uh, you make more money renting those out. You better, <laughs> yeah. You, seriously, that's that's actually true. Yeah, I mean, 
you better be making six figures per wedding if you're going to be spending that kind of money on camera systems. I'm just glad Charlie was there to hear it because I, I was so astounded about what I was hearing about that. <laughs> well, to say that that's what we should aspire to shoot on or that, you know, that's that's the benchmark we should be looking toward is just false. It's just objectively false. I mean, we're seeing cameras that are coming out. I mean, look at the imagery that you were showing today on your stage from the GH5. It was beautiful. I even said out loud to John, I said, that's gorgeous. It was all right. <laughs> Thank and you, I Charlie. Just, I really, I don't, know, I don't mean to be, you know, but I, I, I thought to myself, who, what client would want more than that? You right. Know? So to say that, like, point oh, point of the, diminishing returns. Absolutely. It's like we've, well, explain we've that. It. Explain diminishing returns. Yeah. In, in the, the, the idea that we can get, we can get one hundred to when a bride looks at something or a couple looks at something and they are completely and totally happy with it. At what point are you just spending money that is beyond what they're going to even comprehend? So it's like there's a there's that sweet spot. There's that spot where it the value to what you're getting starts to curve off, and it that's the point where the diminishing returns is hitting. So if you're going for value, it seems like Canon is like not really there. Which is why like we I think I have like I don't know nine or ten G eighty five cameras, which you can buy for like seven or eight hundred dollars now. Yeah. Because uh, for me, that is there's there's a steep curve after that, and I've invested in more expensive cameras as well um, for certain use cases. But for the volume of work that we do, uh, this just makes a ton of sense because it's right at that curve where it gets you to ninety percent exactly, and they're not going to notice that last ten percent. But it, your right. your pocket will when sure. when it's a lot lighter, especially when a lot of it also has to do with the skills of the filmmakers. Hundred percent. Because as much as we love to talk about gear, like you can have the best camera out there and still not be good at the basics and not have your stuff together as a shooter. So like having these cameras, but then also the choices we make to make these films for our clients makes a big difference as well. I had a, um, I had a filmmaker, his name is Sebastian Nandraka, on my show, uh, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago maybe even. Um, but I had him on my show because he posted a wedding film on one of the groups and I was just shocked at this thing. I was like, good grief. I've never seen anything like this, period. Good or bad? Uh, it was, it, it depends on your preference. It, it vastly depends on your preference. It's a very polarizing film, um, but- Memorable. Memorable, but uh, I, I, I say it's genius. Uh, I think that what he did was genius. Um, it's shocking. It's exactly what his clients wanted. Um, and he is um, the only person on the plane I know that could have pulled it off. You know, just a brilliant filmmaker in his own right. And um, I got to talking to him, and he shot this thing on a G7, a, a $400 camera. And it was just, that, that shocked me. Um, because it, it is that, that is so much of the conversation is that we're having this conversation because we like to nerd out on this stuff sometimes, but that's why we don't talk about this a ton on the podcast is because it's so much more about the filmmaker. That's what I'm interested in talking about that. But, um, but we are having a gear conversation. Hold so. on <laughs> to finish its story up. So basically he yeah. was alluding to the fact that they're only really interested in weddings such as like the Royal wedding that just happened. 
And literally, the, the, oh, that's, that's all my said. weddings, right? He, I said that as an example, and he said, "Yes, it's exactly right." So that is the market the candidates after. I mean, it just the whole point of even telling the story is just to kind of further illustrate what we already know to be that Canon is kind of, or just not kind of, but extremely out of touch with our segment of the wedding film market. And I mean, they're producing great bodies, but in their minds, those are photographers' cam- cameras. And they don't really see them as filmmaking tools. So, do you feel the like EOS RP? Do you feel like you were listening RIP. to? <laughs> yeah, no. Do you feel like you were listened to? It's hard to say. I mean, I will say this. I mean, this is part of the story that I'm not sure I left off to you or whatnot. But he did tell me that he is going to be meeting a bunch of Canon execs next week, and he said, "Hey, look, send me an email tonight, and I will bring it to them." Um, but it's just too many layers of, of um, I don't want to say bureaucracy, but um, too many layers of um, executives, and it's just nobody with a pulse to the uh, finger to the pulse in the, in the industry. I want to I want to tell another story because it contrasts so uh, shockingly. Um, last week, I was in Austin, Texas, at, at the Lumix S1 uh, launch event. And they brought in uh, uh, camera dealers, people who are selling these cameras at the camera stores. And then the next day they brought in influencers, people, YouTubers, things like that. Um, But the engineers, the head engineers who designed the S cameras were there in the room from Japan. Um, And um, the first day before all the other people came in, I was there with the Lumix team in a training event uh, situation. And... Um, the guy who was leading the training situation, he's uh, Matt Frazier. I've had him on the podcast before. Anyways, he told me that uh, he uh, he had a he had a feature that he believed could be fixed in software, and he mentioned it to the engineer, and the engineer said, "Oh yeah, we can do that." And uh, they put out a firmware, the next firmware release that was put out, put that feature in there. I mean, and that's how in touch camera ma- camera manufacturers can be uh, with their users if they choose to be. So that that's what's probably frustrating for for Canon users is just like that they could do that, but they just don't. What was the feature? I can't remember. I, I, I don't know if yeah, you remember. No, I don't remember. Okay. It was uh, Matt is like the like super technical guy with everything, yeah. and I'm just like. It needs to work, and I, you know, so I, I know like you know eighty percent of what the camera does, and he knows a hundred percent of what the camera does, and all the things that he would like it to do, um, and so he's the he's the okay. the extra tech guy in that. So, yeah, yeah, and then you hear stories like that, and you're like, why aren't they like that? When well, they could, when they could, when be. they could be, when they could, be. It, it's so easy. Yeah, because so much of it can, <laughs> so much of these things can be fixed with firmware. Yeah, because these cameras are super capable. Um, they have incredible chips in them. They're 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 powerful computers. Um, Just look at Magic Lantern. Remember that? I mean, I don't advocate for hacking your camera. You're gonna, you know. But they prove something, right? Yeah. Which is just what you're saying. Look how powerful these these cameras are, and could be via a firmware update. Right. Yep. So, so the whole point of the meeting was I'm trying to advocate for Canon to care more, and we'll see if that comes to any fruit. But I mean, this is like the third time I've spoken with a Canon rep about this. Um, at one of these events and you know every time they kind of give the the same answer of well we know we need to be doing more but we're not 
and it's pretty much how it ended. Because it takes a lot of force to move a sleeping giant, maybe? I mean... How, I mean, uh, every every like podcast, every YouTube channel that I, I listen to that talks about this stuff, they all say the same thing. So that's a, there's a very loud yeah. majority who are saying these things. So it doesn't give me a whole lot of hope that something like that would. And it's not even that I don't want to. It's like, and I've said before several times is, um, yes, I'm sponsored by Panasonic. But if I find a tool that I would prefer to use, it's going to help me further my business more i will leave panasonic and switch to that camera like i genuinely would because to like i'm gonna make a whole lot more money off of my business than i do off my sponsorship with them it would be foolish for me not to and so um yeah i I think that it's so important to sort of keep that in light of all of these conversations can i ask a quick question yeah assuming that we're being heard what would be something we would all agree on to be a good actionable first step or first couple steps that we would accept as, okay, we were heard and some things are, tides changing a little bit. I mean, the, the first would be to get some people in, in our industry to kind of be those influencers, those culture carriers, mm. much like the other people do. And I think through those people, they can kind of get a, a, a better feel for some of the things that are needed. Because, I mean, those influencers would know the main gripes that we have with cameras. I mean, they're pretty well known. Yeah, because, I mean, they'll be reading their YouTube comments and they can see all that stuff. And that they'll internalize it and then express it. And they're they're also using the equipment using on it. a regular basis yeah. and have the own, their frustrations themselves. Yeah. So. It would be a great, uh, a great idea for them to have that because, in, you know, they can get a, a better read for the market. They, they can get those suggestions and comments into people who will actually do something about it. But, I mean, I, I hope so. But, I mean, we'll see if they do. You have something you want to say, Taylor? I'm just wondering. I'm curious just because I don't really know a whole lot about Canon. Do you think it's, like, an issue of, like, photography versus videography? Like, is, like they're looking just to be, like, more for high-end video. But, like, is that the same for photo? Or are they just You mean why, why they're not listening? Well, you say, like, like they're, we just really care about people having C700s and being, like, high-end videographers is that how they feel about their photographers or do they have like cameras for everyone and like the photographers have the same frustrations yeah is, is that, it i, I don't know i don't think so the no because their bodies max out at so they're the just more interested <laughs> yeah. in photography as opposed to it's like, a bigger market yeah you know, giant photography is a, a much bigger market than filmmakers at this point in time i don't know how long that's going to be true but the thing is photography hasn't really changed as much over the last 10 years as video has and I mean, Canon yeah. has dominated photography for a long time, uh, just because with the you know the cam the, the features that they have. But it's kind of like photography is kind of like audio. You know, audio has kind of been maxed out with how good we can get for a number of years, yeah. and we can make tweaks. But for video, it's it's been leaps and bounds over the last ten years. Yeah. Leaps and bounds over the last five years. Yep. And so that's why I don't think it's as big of a deal for photography. Yeah. I just wonder why they wouldn't have like a team of people as part of canon that are really interested in being involved in that evolution it, it it's such a small part of the market share and it, it, what it and it's reading between the lines and it's it is it's what it's all about because they make so much money on everything else it's not wedding filmmakers i mean I, printers <laughs> you know that might be a, old, that, yeah. that, that might be the biggest part of their market you really printers. think printers it might be i mean did you see how much 
how many printers they had. They had more printers going on there. And I saw a ton more, of printers down there. Yeah, than, than cameras. They had way more space taken up with printers. It's definitely an important, a, a huge part of. But it's, it's what that means is ink because printers is not a high margin item. But ink is really where it's at because, I mean, my wife uses a Canon printer and she can go through $500 in ink in, you know, like a couple days of printing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, uh, our timing-wise, we need to cut this conversation off. Any any last closing remarks? May I? Yeah. I think we need to set the set the tone here for reminding everybody that it really is about your skills and not the cameras. Absolutely. Yep. And again, why we spend ninety nine percent of this show of our YouTube channel talking about all this. And in the background, you will see a lovely man. Cutting out of drinking time, fellas. What is oh. going on? <laughs> <laughs> what is happening? Oh. This is a this is amazing show that we just are putting on <laughs> yes, here. Jason Group, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the uh, the current occupier of this spectacular suite that we're in, and the host of this party that we are about to enjoy, and a bunch of other mm-hmm. people are going to join us. So again, another reason why you need to come to industry events. Um, like this one and like Shutterfest. It's been so yeah. fun. Yep. It's been so fun getting to see all the faces and getting to meet people that you talk to on a daily basis. Like Charlie is so tall. I mean, who knew? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for tuning in for uh, another episode of the Film Maverick Show, and we'll see you on the next one. The Film Mavericks podcast is produced by Taylor Juarez and Teddy Findus. If you found this episode helpful, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss a show and help us out by leaving a five-star review on iTunes. And when you're done, head on over to the Film Mavericks YouTube channel for the video version of this show, as well as weekly tutorials, film critiques, and much more.